the point of my art the point of uh the podcast the point of what i'm doing with my life is that i am tapping into where i get my joy from and i'm staying connected to that thing and i might do lots of different things in lots of different ways but i'm connected to that source and that manifests in the way i draw the way i speak i don't have a destination in mind i just want to see some fun things hello and welcome to the sneaky art podcast i'm your host well not today this is episode 50 and we are doing a special ama episode ama means ask me anything and while i wondered how to celebrate this milestone with all of my listeners uma kelkar reached out with an offer i simply could not refuse to host the episode herself with me in the guest seat answering questions from not only her but also past guests and listeners everyone in the urban sketching community knows uma and her fantastic work but for those listeners who do not please follow the link in the episode description to her work and also listen to our episode together it's one of the first that i recorded so questions for this special episode were crowdsourced from listeners and past guests which is an appropriate way for me to celebrate my 50th by handing over the reins to all the people who have been part of this show either as contributors in the guest chair or the people who have given it the value it has today as listeners i am grateful to all the listeners of the show both the long time listeners and the new and i would love to hear from you especially over the next few weeks as i plan the next steps for this show listeners get in touch if i have helped you learn something new about someone you have admired get in touch if i have introduced you to an artist you did not know about before get in touch also if you can think of an artist i have not yet spoken with but should find the link in the episode description to share your favorite experiences listening to the sneaky art podcast and help me plan what i do next stay tuned until the end to know my plans for the next few weeks including ideas for a new series of episodes if you're a super listener and want to be in the loop with these most sneaky developments find the link in the episode description to become a sneaky art insider all right let's get into it episode 50 very good very good okay i'm going to close the door and wait come back yeah yeah i'm wearing this wet towel around my neck so i can stay cool is it very warm there It's hot. It's hot, and I don't have AC. Um, but it's not super hot. Like it's not nineties. But since there's no ventilation, I've closed the door. It gets um hot. All right. Are you excited? Hmm. Actually, this is like uh, I actually feel a little nervous. <laughs> okay. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't have a structure, and it's, it's odd that I don't know. like i've spoken for 48 episodes as of today but when i really think that i'm going to talk about me it feels very odd and i don't know what i shouldn't say what i should say 
But you have the full range. You can edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> people won't know. People won't know. And um, people are really curious about you. So I think what will help you, well, or helps us is there's no background research to do. You know you. And I'm just curious. So my payment is in the story. So um, this feels very strange to welcome you on your own show, Nisha. But welcome to your half century. <laughs> and congratulations on a stunning, uh, stunning spell uninterrupted since 2020, September. Mm-hmm. How does yeah, it feel? Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show, Uma, and inviting me to this episode. <laughs> It feels unreal. It feels really odd. These kind of milestones, they you look at them and then they suddenly creep up on you. So let's share the statistics with all those who might not have um, kept up with the history of the Sneaky Art Podcast or the newsletters. I hear that the podcast is now averaging 6,000 or more listens per month. And uh, you have following all over the world in 45 countries <laughs> yeah it's it's doing really it's doing really well and huh. it's difficult to say that sometimes because you know you what do you, what is doing really well what is the like there's no benchmark and i found it so weird to do these things in a weird and liberating at the same time because whatever number i reach and i like that is a milestone. So Correct. the reason why I 6,000, the number when I crossed it the first time a few months ago, uh, it felt nice to me was that I broke it down to think that, oh, more than 200 people listen every day. And mm-hmm. that is something special. It just feels so interesting to think that 200 people around the world are tuning in. And Apple Podcasts uh, has this statistics feature, which tells me, uh, where they're coming from, rough ideas, and so many countries. Like it's it's incredible that there are people who are finding someone to relate to, who are yes. following along on these long conversations from so yeah. many places in the world. You're right when you said relate to. I'm gonna read you a comment that's on your own uh, uh, buy me a coffee page, but I thought that this <laughs> comment encapsulated a lot what all of us feel and the. Um, the lady says, I love how deeply you delve into the lives of the artists you interview. I find myself nodding along with what you're, you're both saying. And I feel compelled to take notes as I'm listening because you always hit on so many great points. So my question to you is, this seems to be an explosion of jewels in every episode. You start off not knowing what you will uncover, but you somehow end up uncovering wisdom with every person you talk. So how do you stop yourself from being giddy with this happiness, <laughs> the influence you've enabled? Uh, so I, the only way this works for me is that I only think about myself. I go into it with complete selfishness stash self-absorption i guess these are all the negative words but these are the only applicable words Uh, i only think about what is it that i want to know what is it Mm. that i'm curious about and before every conversation i have this list of 
things that I want to somehow bring up. Mm-mm. But I've understood from listening to podcasts and from trying to have good conversations that you can't force these things and every person is like has their own rhythm and the real discovery of the show from like the the recording the real discovery of the recording for me sometimes it's not even the the story itself like the particular thing they tell me which is just like wow where did that come from but it's how people start to tell you things and what makes them comfortable and at what point and this is something that i can't share with listeners unfortunately because i'm watching them and at what point the guest becomes like really starts connecting with you across this thin screen right and you forget that there's a screen and you're just looking at each other and you're just talking to really talking to each other and that moment happens every time and that moment because it happens every time i really think that it's like all conversations have this potential to be special and really the job is just to have find reach that moment and somehow subliminally it reaches across to the audience also to the listeners also and i'm always surprised that it happens because sometimes i don't know if an episode is going to work with the audience like the sneaky art podcast is fueled by my curiosity and i do my best to while respecting my audience and giving them something of value i do my best to stay tapped into my own curiosity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i understand even i think that's that's important for you that you mentioned that that having the main goal of the venture be safeguarded so you can have sub goal one sub goal two but the main goal has to stay safe because then that can have then the show does have the strength of authenticity and that one goal that it achieves all the time so it becomes reliable and when things are reliable you start trusting it and the trust in this case moves to a personal level right it goes to the interview which is you yeah but as you reveal more wisdom in each episode using the term that one of your followers used does the luck surface area in your episode also grow so do you think you reveal more and more wisdom as the episodes um, as a podcast grows if we really think about it as a map that we a graph that we're trying to explore the boundaries of a person and all their multi multidimensional uh, values then i am just becoming a better navigator through the darkness the more i talk the more i build this library i become a more intelligent optimization algorithm <laughs> better at finding these highs and these lows which are interesting and better at uh, pacing so i increase my luck surface area by just carrying on talking <laughs> eventually something's going to happen uh, and finding a way to carry on talking is very important so uh finding a way to uh, pace yourself so that you don't run out of things or the guest does not feel that they have run out of things or that there is such a thing as running out of things all of this is uh, a dance of the moment because so this is the really uh, i think this is the part which is really uh, interesting to me also now when i look at my work is that for so many of these conversations it's the first time i'm talking to these guys 
and so many amazing people are sharing so many deep ideas and deep stories from their lives with someone that they are talking to for the first time across a screen and i'm not even with them we didn't even draw together and we're in opposite corners of the world in different time zones but to get them to trust me mm-hmm. i think i think that's that's what it's all about do you think the podcast um format actually enables quick trust compared to where let's say you were interviewing the guest in front of 200 people right your audience is still 200 people per day but the speaker is not aware of those 200 does that affect not only the speaker even me like if i was asking questions in front of 200 people and if we were sitting in front of 200 people it would be a completely different kind of it would be an interview so this is how i differentiate the two things at least that there is a degree of formality in the interview and that formality is predicated on the i knowledge that this is for a lot of other people to listen to us or to watch us either live or afterwards and a conversation that is put online is still doing that thing but the format of it or the way we treat it mentally is that this is between two people and to really uh, be a part of it you have to really be a part of it you have to really listen to it and give it the time to be one of those invisible people peering in on a conversation so for me it works only when i shut out the idea that this is going to go somewhere or someone's going to listen to it and they might be from a different world than me and they they might think of these words in a different way i have to completely shut all of that out i have to make it just me and the guest the speaker they have to also do this and okay. that's the only way that you get to this position of trust i think it's not a default feature of all podcasts i think it is also a factor of the fact of uh, it's a factor of how much time i'm willing to give and that reflects in how patient i am and how willing to listen i am and how i am eager to follow all the rabbit holes and once somebody knows that you really really want to listen i think you get really good stories from all of them Sam Cunningham asks that asks a question which segues right into what you have said that uh, you've talked about eagerness and you've talked about navigation and she understands that you do a lot of preparation for each podcast so when some things are prepared uh, it might not appear like an informal conversation but you do you are not even making it look like an informal conversation you are doing it's not like you're making it and you're doing it by navigating like you said so can we have a an example where you say hey can can we have an example where you have actually navigated real time and moved away from your storyline to be, make a more effective podcast yeah sure so uh i uh the way that uh, now now let's imagine this dark space again you don't know what kind of terrain we have but we have to mm-hmm. find out 
I have these points in my mind, six or seven or eight points around, say, my conversation with Jim Richards. We spoke for in one sitting for more than three hours and we didn't talk about his urban sketches and we didn't talk about Cuba and we didn't talk about Hemingway and we didn't talk about so many things which were on my list, which were on the the seven or eight points that I'd put together, which I'm supposed to somehow touch and then see how did I make it from one point to the other? What kind of paths did I follow? That makes up the terrain of this person's story. And I didn't touch on so many of them because we just got lost in other beautiful places and we got distracted by the different ideas we had. And most people who are listening to me right now have heard uh, Jim and I speak as well. So I won't repeat all of those things, but uh, I'm willing to go in any direction that's fun. I hear you. While you allow yourself to navigate, you're saying you stick true to your aim of enjoyment, enjoyment of the process, not the destination. Um, while you're doing this, you're, you're also tangoing with your interviewee. And as they speak, have you noticed any patterns with age slash culture with the guests on your show? Yeah, that's actually, uh, there are there are things you pick up and they have helped me to understand maybe how to how to approach the conversation in real time. So something that happens often is that you see a lot of people who do not, who are very ambitious artists, but they are not very keen on placing themselves in front of their art. And the notion of success, even within the deep ambition, is that the art stands in front of them. And that manifests in conversation also. So you cannot always start a conversation by asking someone everything about themselves. Because uh, they, uh, like, uh, there's this thing about conversations that I read that every conversation between two people is actually a conversation between four people. There's the person that I think you are that I'm speaking to. And there's the person that you think I am that you're listening from. So until those things are aligned and they maybe never really are, it's uh, we're always playing a guessing game. So I try to I try to anticipate how my guest is feeling and what is it that they want that they are keen to talk about. This is one of my one of my rules is that I want to start with something that they are very eager to talk about just to get them into the zone of telling me things. And then we might touch upon our personal lives and we might touch upon uh, work and ideas for art and everything just flows. I found that people who are in a place where the, the practice of becoming an artist is more formalized. So mm -hmm. I think in Western societies, the path that you must follow in order to become a successful artist, there is a lot of example there is a lot of local and national inspiration. There are a lot of uh, industries set up to support that 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 trajectory in life. And that means that people have already very good ideas and quote unquote good because some people might consider it not a good idea of how to behave and how to how to 
how to quote unquote brand themselves how to appear in front of what might be an audience and then you have a lot of guests from uh, my part of the world and people from further east so i just think of it as the east eastern world where we are not so versed at uh, at putting ourselves in front of the art or with feeling comfortable with the idea that the individual matters i think there is a lot of cultural baggage people carry and they are very conscious about who might be listening to them and therefore what they are coming across as because they are aware of the various labels that they also carry so with certain guests you realize that it's not the the story that they want to tell you is not a story of one person the story they want to tell you is of a thing the story they want to tell you is of a time and mm-hmm. of various vague things that are associated with their personhood but are not revolving around their personhood almost like they are revolving around the things that they are revolving around and that's been an interesting distinction to see where it is where it doesn't lie and how people express themselves so mm-hmm. it's a good good thing to think of people as planets or stars and then see how the world view is constructed this is very interesting tell me if does this view also does the inverse of this apply to the supporters of the show meaning are the people listening to your show actually opposite to what you're seeing because i don't know if same things can inspire each other so if you're different mm-hmm. then people what might want so do people from the east like it when there are people who show that they've taken charge of their life and are responsible for their trajectory have you yeah. noticed that that's such a good question you know what is it that we aspire to because i feel that everybody aspires to what they are not in one yeah. form or another and if uh like i feel a lot of uh people like i i myself have uh, grown up in this syncretic media landscape like east and western media all at the same time in my life and the things that i idolized and the way that i wanted to be was deeply individualistic and that is not like my environment so the people i admired were deeply individualistic people from a different part of the world and i think that that stands i think people who who are aware that it could be useful to them to be a different way to step out of their cultural boundaries to behave in a way that is not uh, that is rarely seen in their environment i think people like to hear that i think a lot of people like to see how somebody who is different from them in some ways can be similar to them in lots of other ways because we think that someone who's done something that we haven't done has done it because perhaps so much of their life was completely different has done it perhaps because everything was supporting them so this is a recurrent theme on the show that uh, whenever we see someone and we see their work like somebody sees your work on instagram uma they'll think that okay this is how she makes art and then they construct this straight line from your birth to this point where you are in front of them on instagram this is the person and she must have learned how to paint and she must have been supported about painting and she followed her passion and her passion was right there in front of her so she took the ball and ran and here she is but there is no straight line 
so i think th- that that part has been has been really interesting the fact that there is no straight line and we keep thinking there is and the more we listen to other people the more we appreciate that it's okay that our line is not a straight line and we have gone here and there and sometimes we've lost ourselves but this is how everybody goes this is how everybody finds something brilliant and so something brilliant and something that you love and something that satisfies you is always still within grasp it's not something that was lost the first time you took a misstep 30 years ago very well said it was not lost in the first time it was not a straight line was it for you to come to urban sketching you've gone through comics but before that tell us the key points and the points don't have to be just the highlights the highs and the lows that led to this strain into urban sketching <laughs> um so i think everybody when they grow up they draw they paint they love it no matter what others think of their work they love it and i loved it but like a lot of people especially people from our part of the world at a certain age we grow up and we give we throw away these childish things and childish things being all the things that are fun so that we can do all the things that are not fun because then later <laughs> on you can do all the things that are fun it's some kind of sense this is supposed to make sense but i was told that this is how it's done so i, I, I became it. i became an engineer like everyone became an engineer and my curse was that i was kind of good at it i was good at science i loved learning things i loved to learn things and i love um figuring out how things work so i followed that curiosity but that's what i was doing i was just following curiosity again and uh, subconsciously without understanding it and i had curiosity for all these other things also i had curiosity for stories all my life like i have been a voracious reader my whole life i just i would read any book that's put around me and writing stories the first time i my first as a semi adult as a young adult actually now now that we have that phrase as a young adult the first time i thought i had the right to express myself was when i discovered that anybody is allowed to write stories and there is such a thing as a blog so mm-hmm. like in 2003 2004 i learned about the word blog for the first time and it was a new thing then i started a blog and i started writing stories and that's all i wanted to do i realized that i just want to tell stories my hero my great hero of writing and at that time a misplaced i used to think he was also the artist was roald dahl because i had these books of charlie and the chocolate factory and his autobiography and they were illustrated by quentin blake but i thought it's the big name on top quent uh, roald dahl he does everything so my hero for telling stories my template for how i want to tell stories was this it's supposed to have drawings every few pages and the drawings are easy and fun and they tell they add to the environment of the story and the story is deep and profound and disturbing but it's it's funny and it's vicious it's it holds you that's what roald dahl does you read his uh, adult ch- uh, short story fiction and he's a complete other kind of genius and then you read his short his children's stories and he's a completely other person and that's what i wanted to be so i started to write and i started to write and 
I kept writing through my bachelor's degree in engineering in India. I was I studied to be a mechanical engineer, and I did all kinds of things as a mechanical engineer. We made race cars. We traveled to race tracks in in Italy and into the British Grand Prix track, F1 track, and we raced our race cars there. It was great, and I loved doing it. But I kept writing on the side because I loved doing that also. Whatever feeds the curiosity. And it's difficult to to know to. I I feel like it's so good today to take this kind of decision that if you like your curious your creativity and those kind of things to follow that path because there are so many templates there are so many ideas now about you can do this or you can do that or you can go here and you can Google stuff and you can find out what else you can do. But before all of these things were around. your world was your world was limited to the ideas that you had managed to run into and certain ideas don't make it to you because you don't have models for it around so i didn't know what i can do with this thing what can i do with writing what where can i go what is practical what is okay what is allowed uh what is considered quote unquote quitting so you have ambition you have peer pressure you have expectations and obligations and the obligations of un un well what's the word like they're not really formed they're just these vague floating other people in your life and a lot of ideas were closed that you can't you surely you can't become a writer surely you can't just start making cartoons which i did start making on the side so in the last year of my bachelor's degree we were just wasting time there was not much to do uh it was my thesis and i almost finished it so i started drawing these stick figure comics to make fun of my friends because there's so much time and there's nothing to do and they went kind of viral it was early facebook and things were allowed to go viral without paying mark zuckerberg any money so it went kind of viral and a lot of strangers saw it and they loved it and people started sharing my comics and i thought okay this is something i've grown up reading comics too like uh, the newspaper in calcutta would bring every sunday calvin and hobbs but every day there were comic strips and those were the first things i read every morning so it was fun and it was a way to tell stories again you could with very simple drawings and a few words make somebody laugh or make somebody see something in a way that they didn't see before an idea or a conversation or a subject and it would be witty and it would be edgy and i was 18 years uh, what 8 19 20 years old and it was the smartest idea i could have come up with so i started doing it and uh, professionally i decided to get a masters in the tu delft in the netherlands which is a university i heard about when we went with our race car to race it in this international competition we met students from delft and we heard about what education is really like outside outside our world and i was very jealous i thought hey i want a masters degree and i applied and i got into the tu delft and i went there to study a masters in mechanical engineering with a specialty in biomechanical design i through this i kept writing through the two years of my masters degree i was i made a couple of short films with friends i started writing for a youtube show in india um i 
made more comics. And this was all on the side while in the day I was studying and working and doing my assignments. My thesis was about uh, how people control both limbs at once. So how does the brain and how, uh, the distributed nervous system of your body with your muscles and uh, your spinal cord, how does it coordinate uh, rhythmic movements with uh, opposite parts of your body? So if you are uh, a drummer, how do you maintain different beats? If you're juggling, how do you do that? So that was my master's thesis. And it got me very curious about the brain. And I thought, hey, what if I took a really, really, really difficult PhD thesis now? what would happen and I decided to find out so I took a PhD program and it was a complicated decision because I think in the heart of me I knew that I am not committed to this life like I didn't have a picture of myself 10 years later as an academic or doing something with this stuff I I was literally just curious I was literally just this is fun. I like doing it. And I'm good at some of these things. I'm good at understanding the math. It's so good to understand really difficult math, to really get it, and then to use it in like thousands, to write thousands of lines of code with all these multidimensional matrices. And then it works. Like it just feels so beautiful in that moment. And I'm chasing that joy of achievement that I'm good at. It. I'm getting it. I know how it works. These so many other people don't. But there's a pit to that. Like I'm, while I'm plumbing my curiosity, I'm very happy. But I'm, that doesn't mean that you're ready to be a researcher. That doesn't mean that you're ready to be at the edge of what is known and then look forward. That part requires another kind of drive in you. I feel like a PhD program is meant for people who are willing to give 200%. They have to dream about this. They have to be obsessed about it. They have to not want to come back from the lab because they want to get that result. And I wanted to come back from the lab because I wanted to write that story and I wanted to finish that comic. And what happened was my PhD program, and this is all luck, complete lucky situation, that my PhD program was in collaboration with the Northwestern University in Chicago and to do experiments on uh, stroke patients, I was sent to Northwestern University. This was my PhD program was about stroke patients and people who have chronic stroke and what are the difficulties in movement they have as a result of it and can we design smarter rehab programs that are tailored to their needs. And to do that, we would need to, again, this distributed nervous system, we have to have a working model of it on MATLAB preferably so that we can uh, put the numbers in and get the numbers out and see why they don't match and get them to match and then the person will be hopefully okay. Very, very difficult to do, however. So uh, I did experiments in Chicago and it's a great, great, great luck of my life that I came to Chicago because I was in Chicago and I lived uptown and I worked downtown and in between I would see stand-up comedy clubs and I walked into one of them and I started listening to open mic nights, people just coming to make three minutes of jokes, a lot of which would fall flat, but doing it again and again and again every night. And musicians doing the same. And I would see them and I would think, why am I not doing the same? Like, mm -hmm. this guy who is not a very funny comedian is here to give it a shot. 
and I've seen I saw him last week and he said the same joke somewhere else and it didn't work then either but he tried again after changing a few words it still didn't work but he's going to try it again I know and he's doing it right he's do he's obsessed with it and he's decided this is it and he's doing it and I have colleagues in university who are obsessed with this neuroscience biomechanics and they are working late into the night and I am the only one in this setup who is not 100% committed to what they're doing so i kind of owe it to everybody else to be honest to not do the thing i'm not really 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 interested as much as them i had the extraordinary privilege of being able to take that decision my girlfriend who's now my wife but my girlfriend at the time she told me that she is willing to support me if i take she urged me to do it because i said look this is not it for me i don't know and she said you should you should jump just do it do what you want to do you've always wanted to do it and i needed i needed to hear that and i needed to see i needed to hear that shitty stand up set in chicago and i needed to then walk alone and figure it out in my mind but i told my professors that i wasn't uh, able to continue my phd program and i really really just wanted to do something else i didn't tell them what i wanted to do but in my mind i was going to now be a writer and maybe a cartoonist and since i had all this time maybe i can learn to draw so there's no excuse for drawing stick figures anymore let's learn how to draw i have all the time so i was in chicago and i'm enchanted by this city and i have tried everything my whole life since early childhood since peaking at age 7 to learn how to draw again and nothing works all these how to draw books which tell you to draw eyes with that you know shade with the 2b pencil so that you get the glint of the eye in it i can't do it all these things that ask you to draw apples and pears and bananas and just get that curve exactly right and make sure you have four pencils because three pencils is too few i couldn't <laughs> do it so i thought you know this is it you can't be an artist if you can't do it but i was sick of it i wanted to draw and the internet and web comics xkcd and uh, wondermark all these um, uh, cyanide and happiness all of these web comics they gave me the courage to to just put out ideas that you know you don't have to be the technically most gifted person you just have to have a cohesive thing that you give to people if they connect with it it works I had learned to do that with stick figures and now I had to give myself that idea again as an artist to destroy that previous image of what is you know what is what how well do you need to draw in order to be an artist so uh how do I learn I'm in Chicago I love Chicago I want to see this city and I need to learn to draw why don't I carry a sketchbook with me and i make it my business to walk around this city because i'm drawing and then draw whatever looks interesting and i started to do that and just to make sure that i wouldn't chicken out just to make sure that i wouldn't stop myself i carried a pen with me that i can't erase i can't uh, make those non committal faint lines everything is there you just have to do the pages just keep drawing 30 days just keep mm. drawing let's see what happens mm. Mm. and it was it was this was it this is what i needed to do i discovered the urban sketching hashtag 
I started to share that 30 days. I started to draw all the time. And I discovered that drawing from observation is not cheating. Like, you know how when, I don't know if you had the same, but when we were kids, it was that you have to draw from imagination because otherwise you're cheating. And that's such a wrong thing to put on children. And I grew up with this idea that I'm not a real artist because I can't draw from imagination. So this is how I started to draw. And we can go to more questions about the rest of it because I think this is a pretty big answer for your little question. Well, it's not a little question, right? Asking somebody's journey is bound to bring up all the ups and downs. I liked it that you... No, I have have one question followed by two comments. It almost seemed like you wanted to know that you could suffer along with somebody. When you went back to see that comic, redo... Knowing fully when that you, that it was highly, not fully well, it was highly likely he would bomb again. You just wanted, it looks to me that you wanted examples of people sticking to it, even if there was pain involved, instead of fair observation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, at that time, I had been uh, writing scripts for a YouTube show in India. And the process of doing that is that you write a joke with what you have in mind and then there's a person in New Delhi who is reading it and then interpreting it and then an actor who's acting it and then an editor who's cutting it and it becomes something completely different that you have no more control over. So sometimes the thing that I wrote would not be the thing that would come out. Sometimes I would draw these, I had drawn hundreds of comics by this time and I would draw comics and I thought they were so funny but nobody liked them, nobody saw them. (laughs) And you have to get used to that also. So the only, and of course I would get discouraged and sometimes I would not be so diligent about it, but I would keep coming back to it. And I realized that I want to keep doing this anyway. And the only way to keep doing it anyway is to not care about the success, is to not care about uh, whether the idea works. You just have to, you just have to do it again. You just have to do it more. You just have to get all the, the bad stuff out of you and then the good stuff yeah. comes and yeah. then one day it clicks. So right. I was looking for examples of this and I was looking for people who were doing this because these were just ideas in my mind. I was not in, it's such a different kind of world to be in if you're in scientific uh, research and engineering and then to think about this because there's no structure anymore. Uh, when you're being creative, there is no notion of 50% done or 60% done. There aren't enough numbers going around for you to use and to feel mm. good about. You can't plot them. You have you to go with them. so much faith and you have to go with just conviction. Mm-hmm. And it can get very difficult to do that. So you need to see other people who are doing it to know that this is normal. And that's what those stand-up comics were for me. Understood. Understood. In fact, as if we look at 
data from this country for over the last hundred years um, and data on Nobel laureates across the world. So it crosses cultural boundaries too. And if we look at markers for innovation, self-mastery doesn't always say, not doesn't always, is not a marker for innovation. It is actually risk-taking. So what you're saying, where you have to just do it. Um, so when you say you're not caring about the reception of your idea or caring about the success, what you're saying is you have to care about just doing it. Taking the risk itself is the single most marker of how innovative you are. And when you said cursed with science and cursed being good with it, actually, the probability of an average U.S. citizen being uh, art lover is about 35%, 34 point something, actually. The probability a Nobel laureate would have deep roots in art are 94%. And when I say deep roots in art, uh, these are fine arts. This is not music. Mm -hmm. This is not literature. It's visual, mm -hmm. 2D arts and sculpture and photography. So the idea of working in the unknown, working without numbers is very risky. And that is very, this polymath is common there. Um, so I just wanted you to yeah. know that, that you're not alone. The cultural thing that you mentioned is not, when I say cultural, it's about the examples and the trajectories of other people you had in front of it. So noble laureates are a very, very small percentage of the population. Those are not our trajectories, mm -hmm. right? So they are not in front of you. So what is in front of you are platitudes by peoples where people say, if you want to get good at it, do one thing well. And when you're steeped in polymathy and at 20, whenever somebody said that to me, I did not have the courage to tell them to hold my beer. Um, um, <laughs> so a lot of your productive years are lost in being closeted. Um, but the fact that closeted does not mean bad, uh, just like you shield a sapling before it grows, it's okay to shield your other habits. Absolute. Yeah, yeah, very much. Like, I think my I managed to stay with writing through all of this other stuff. And that was the case that I made to my parents. That, look, I didn't stop. I kept doing it. And this is how much I've done on the side. So I think having diverse interests is so important. And I think you never really know what fuels what. Like people are very deep and complicated and inspiration is everywhere. What ideas come to you from which direction and from learning what I think is it's impossible to be simplistic about it. It's not useful to be simplistic about it. I run the risk of romanticizing this quote-unquote struggle of not having um, idols, not having a given path, not having it uh, culturally so acceptable to become an artist. I don't want to romanticize that uh, struggle to fight against that. It's not. It wasn't really that much of a struggle for me. I just, I just, I just did what I wanted. I've always sort of been like that. So, I think what it did help with was that it helped me to know for sure that I value it. I had a lot of reasons to do other things. I had lots of pathways that I could just stay with. 
the fact that it stayed with me, the fact that I stayed with it, and the fact that to love it meant to only love it if I loved it. There was mm-hmm. nothing validating it around me. There was nothing romanticizing this thing around me. It was just this silly thing that I didn't tell my colleagues about even. It's actually really odd. None of my none of my colleagues in Delft have any idea that I spent five years. I was drawing and I was writing and I was doing all this stuff. And it's it 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 was this thing that I nurtured, like like the the butterfly thing, like right. So yeah. it was it was my protective chrysalis, and I was doing my thing inside it, and that is so good. That's something I actually kind of feel that uh, young artists today have a lot of. Uh, handicap compared to us they don't huh. have a period when they are ignored completely <laughs> and that's so important when nobody cares about what you're doing and yeah. there is no opportunity for you to share it with people yeah. i feel like if you're just an artist now and there's instagram and there's youtube and there's tiktok yeah. and people are see and the worst thing that could happen is they start to like your work it's the absolute worst thing that could happen to a young artist if people love their work mm. because then they get locked into it they will not have the they will, they are so less likely to deviate to change their mind because so many people's expectations they're just weighing them down mm. so this other aspect of it uh, it's our lucky aspect we are maybe I'm the last generation that grew up without social media so I think I'm very very lucky that there was no performative element to my hobbies and holding on to them was really just about me. It gave you time to hone it the way you wanted to hone it. What has kept you attracted to the urban sketching community to this day? I love the community uh simply because it is such a flat community. I love how as soon as i the first urban sketching outing i attended immediately there was no distinction between who is a great artist and who is just a hobbyist who is got perspective down and who is struggling with there's no difference all of us put our sketchbooks down in the same row and you walk around you walk around them with the same attention and everyone comments on everyone's work everyone's got a little skill to share with someone else and that's what i love the most i love that there is no hierarchy and that makes it possible for anybody to come in and mm. another thing i noticed about which i loved about the listeners of this show about the urban sketching community is that so many of them are not professional artists and i love that fact i just love the fact that somebody who has other business to do is using their limited time such limited time we have in these days such limited attention and they decide to draw and they decide to make a painting it's just ridiculous if i had something else i was doing to be able to make time for this is such a clear priority like these guys know what they want from it otherwise there's netflix there's youtube there's all kinds of things they know what they want and they are tapped into what they're getting from every experience so this is what i love the most about the urban sketching community that we are united on something very basic that we all derive pleasure from and it's mm. i think an equal amount of pleasure no matter which kind of artist you are equal happiness i like that i like how you really highlighted it 
Mike Daikabura has been on your podcast, and he's an urban sketcher, an author, a friend of yours. You've sketched with him before. He's also an avid listener of this podcast. He um, especially brought to my attention the episode with Danny Gregory, and he seems to think that Danny Gregory mentioned that there are too many rules for urban sketching. And Mike says, years ago, I remember another prolific artist whose work he admired saying something similar and he began to show up less frequently in urban sketching scenes. So do you think after having talked to 50 artists, many of whom were urban sketches, do you feel there are a lot of restrictions? Yeah. And if so, how can we change it and make it more welcoming? Firstly, I don't think restrictions are unwelcoming. I think restrictions are, uh, so I think of constraints. I love constraints. I On my show, I talk about it a lot. I love rules because within rules is you get creative. That's where the fun happens. So um, I think the rules around what is an urban sketch and what isn't an urban sketch are very interesting to me. In my opinion, I think it is good to have a very clearly defined idea of what is an urban sketch. I think in an urban sketching meetup, for example, you will see a lot of different kinds of artists. And for a lot of them, urban sketching is not at the center. So me as an artist, why am I an urban sketcher? Why is urban sketching of value to me? It's not because I think urban sketching is the best art to make or it is quote unquote real art or something like that. I it vibes exactly with what I want to do, with my central questions as a person trying to talk about, talk, just talk, right? You're a writer of stories. You tell stories in any way. You are sharing images. And the things that I want to share images about, the things that I find interesting are the lives of people in big cities. I have, I'm a big city person and I like to see, as an immigrant, I have noticed my experience changing in the different worlds I have inhabited. And I have been an outsider and therefore I have become an observer of many things in my, in my environment. And as an artist, I try to find ways to see what is beautiful about it. So urban sketching just fits perfectly with what I want. But I'm aware when I go to a meetup that there is an artist there who is a fine artist maybe, or somebody who is who works with a certain specific technique and urban sketching for them is a release. They've come here just to maybe loosen their artistic muscles and see what else they can do to play, to try something new, to learn something from someone, to have to have fun with their art again, if it's becoming less fun in the work way that they approach it. So people will do it in different ways, even at a meetup. In my opinion, if that happened, that would be all right. Because... We are here for the human connection with the urban sketchers at a meetup and not necessarily to venerate urban sketching at that in that moment. That's right. So I That's I, right. I mean I don't know. These are these are raw thoughts. Like I think I don't know the full context of what Jim meant when he said that I'm not able to quite recall what he what like which part of the conversation that was. Do you do you remember that bit? What Jim meant when he said that it's too restrictive? Because, oh, Jim. Uh, Danny Gregory. 
Oh, I'm sorry. That Danny's okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. That makes yeah. a lot more sense because Danny's yeah. art is so different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think uh, what Danny had expressed was also that he is not keen on sketching around lots of other people. He doesn't like mm. sketching in groups. Mm. And his his art as a way of dealing with his life and his day has so many elements of it which are not actually visual to us. Mm. So his relation okay. with colors his mm. rela- his relation of what a line he draws and how it relates to his mood mm. those are not things that are uh, that can be encompassed by a quote like drawing from your environment he is not drawing from observation always he is tapping into something inside him and in that sense the word urban sketcher can be restri- can confine him because he is so much more than that but certainly a lot of his art is urban sketching yeah another place where urban sketching term sort of trips up is can indoor sketches be urban sketches and we had that sort of conflict all of us right because of the yeah. pandemic like what is should i include the window and a part of the building outside and then it's an <laughs> urban sketch or can can this if my world is just this much how can okay. this not be an urban sketch that's right so i the, all these questions keep coming up so it's i think it's lovely that people are thinking about it no there no definition should sit untested everything should be pushed and prodded and constantly rethought very i think well. i think urban sketching can be your goal it can also be a very useful uh, detour it can be mm-hmm. a very nice tool in your arsenal and people yeah. should use it as a tool right right we are talking about urban sketching an urban sketching is a very physical communal graphic activity you have done comics and writing together but really we are talking on an audio mode right now in an audio medium so how did this idea of moving from a visual medium to an audio medium of podcasts occur to you well um two things I had the idea from before the pandemic but the pandemic sort of uh, really set into place the the environment in which I desperately needed it. I needed to listen to people in my ear and I was very distracted so I would not sit down and watch them. Uh, everybody was doing Instagram live and I was not able to sit and look at a screen for too long even though I wanted those ideas. so i thought about what i'm able to consume and it was always podcast i could jump from room to room i could get my panic and anxiety out of the way while still listening <laughs> i could draw and i could still listen so podcasts have always been a good uh, have always fit in very nicely for me as a as the kind of person i am for me to gather ideas about things that i would not be able to give my attention to reading about or watching a video about mm. and i really thought that the urban sketching community deserves a podcast we are all like every hobby of this kind or activity or subculture whatever you might call it anything of this kind it deserves documentation and what mm. a podcast is is a library it's a 21st century library but it runs according to the oldest tradition of knowledge sharing in humankind which is people mm. talking to each other 
and mm. people saying hopefully good words that can be memorized by someone else so mm. i like that i'm able to do this i like that this is not a new fangled thing it's a new technology on a very basic human way of communication and i like where it sits i like that it does not demand something from me it does not demand something like complete attention from the listener my listeners uh, get back to me that they've been listening to it while gardening while running while walking their dog so it's nice that i can help people do these things and that when they're doing these things maybe they've put their phone away after hitting that play button so they're not looking at a screen and i'm really glad that i'm able to talk with people without asking them to look at a screen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. this is why i wanted to do a podcast and i thought i want to i i wanted to avoid anything to do with a visual medium telling stories definitely i mean telling stories conversing gossiping chatting has so much value ban and when you chat one on one long time you go through these phases of banter exploration give and take i think it really strengthens the library that you're creating would you compare comics if i had if i compare comics and books when i say books comic i mean books without any illustration the mm-hmm. classics would you compare podcasts to youtube interviews you mean the way that a comic book compares to a book the way that comics compare to a book would you say podcast compared to a youtube interview um actually so no i think it's i can see where the comparison is and i can also see where the comparison does not stand so it is it is a bit of both so comic book to a, a fiction novel let's say so the biggest difference is that a comic book is supplying a lot of information to you visually that a book might suggest or might put into words so it is telling you about uh the things you can see and the things that uh that the, you know around the person it's obviously giving you the dialogue but it is also taking you on the journey it is showing you how it is it is pacing it for you every frame is roughly assumed to be about a second and so people have big frames and large frames in order to expand and to constrict time and to give you this impression that the pace is being controlled by the book and that's not the case for a novel you can read it at any pace you want some people are slow readers some people are fast readers some people also mm-hmm. listen to audiobooks and then they put it at 2x so this kind of uh, controlling the pace in a in a novel is different from controlling the pace in a comic book that said mm-hmm. a 90 page comic book can finish in 1 hour and a 90 page novel will still take multiple reading maybe mm. um mm. how it compares to a youtube versus a, a an audio interview is that an audio interview again it takes away certain information it's not you don't have the visual element at all it's not really adding something in exchange so that's why it doesn't compare with comic book versus novel mm. like it's not transforming that information into still images it's mm. simply not sharing that information you don't know mm. how the guest is dressed mm. you don't know how mm. they're sitting you don't know how they're looking at each mm. other mm. so there is directly a cutting down of information and this is mm. something that i'm very particular about 
how much information do i want to give so this is the essence mm. of sneaky art also about all my drawings how much information mm. do i want to give you for you to understand what i'm trying to do mm. and for it to have the effect i want it to have if i had a video podcast i feel like it might have more views but mm. i have this sense that it would not be the thing i wanted to do the product would mm. completely change how i mm. would sit would change how i would dress would change how i would look mm. would change and therefore what i would say would change mm. my, my a, a portion of my mind would be occupied by my appearance and therefore the amount of attention that i have for the speaker would change so the product in my case changes a lot and this is only in my case because i'm a mm. self-conscious person of my mm. generation i think if a teenager today started to do this they could just do it easily because i don't think young people today feel so self-conscious in front of a camera and mm. if i have a camera in front of me i am conscious of that fact mm. and that changes me another difference between podcast and youtube youtube has comments Mm-hmm. and i think that makes everything so different not from my end now let's look at the listener if you are the listener and there is a comment section right there you are a little incentivized to use it and to just just when you are happy or you are in any emotional state you want to respond happy angry sad and th- knowing that that comment section is there makes you reactive it means you are thinking about what how you might react what you might say a podcast has no direct feedback mechanism you are with me for this ride you cannot mm-hmm. interrupt this conversation you cannot express yourself to me you cannot get this thing unload this thing in this moment you might email me that will be later you might message me which will happen later but for now all you can do is listen and what that does when someone hits the play button is that they consent to this set- setup they have consented to giving us time they have consented mm. that maybe i'll get pissed off at minute 15 but i will wait until minute 20 and maybe you will have made sense of this thing and mm. i will i will wait for that context mm. and this completely this change in format this creative choice on my end completely changes how that same information is consumed on the end of the audience are they in a reactive mood or are they in a contemplative mood and mm. this is the difference between a podcast and a youtube video these midway breaks are so valuable because i'm here and so are you and even though i don't know you i can venture a guess that you must be a true fan of this show if you're listening to me go on and on about my life and so i'm very glad to speak with you for just a moment i want to take a moment first to thank the wonderful people who have submitted questions for this episode thank you mike daikubara suhita shirodkar pam cunningham sasala vikramasinghe and others who sent in their thoughts and curiosities i'm so glad to be answering your questions and i hope you will ask me more If you are a super listener and I have your attention right now, give me another moment to tell you about the Sneaky Art Insider Club. This show is an independent solo production. I do all the work before every episode, during and after every recording. This is a lot of work and I do it 
just the way I like to do it so that you can have just the experience you like to have. It takes a lot of time and energy as you might already know. So I am delighted to reach out to you, the dedicated listeners of this show, to ask you to consider becoming Sneaky Art Insiders for as little as $1 per episode. That's it. If the show has been worth that much to you, head to the episode description and tap the link to support my independent work. It is my life's ambition to remain accountable only to the people who truly enjoy my work, and setting up a direct creator-to-fan relationship is one of the ways that I'm trying to make this happen. Stay tuned until the end to hear about my plans for future episodes, and now let's get back to the conversation with Uma. The reactive and contemplative part, the distinction, I thought that was genius. That was great. I would say the podcast is actually, for, gives us more information compared to a comic. Now I know I'm comparing podcast with a comic. <laughs> the reason I found out is that because the comic reduces words like a paragraph to a screenshot, but it also takes away ambiguity of interpretation from the reader, right? So in my mind, because I read the comics of Asterix and Obelix, even if I read a lot and I've been reading about Cleopatra and Caesar, in my mind, Caesar is from that cartoon. <laughs> it is indelible. <laughs> I think that's what I feel with the podcast. Um, it's reduced stimulus, but it also is an accepted one-way communication. It's it's not really one way because it feels like you're listening into somebody else's conversation, but there's no, like you said, no direct feedback to affect the conversation from the listener. Um, I'm sure you thought about this idea longer and how long did it take? You said you had been thinking about it before the pandemic. How long did the idea incubate for? Yeah. So, uh, before the pandemic, um, I, I moved to Chicago just before the pandemic. And before that, we were in Wisconsin and we were living in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We were 90 miles from Minneapolis and 300 miles from Chicago and we would drive both ways. So uh, 90 minutes one way, five hours the other way. And this whole time, the only thing that got us through these driving, this driving was podcasts. And I got into really long form podcasts at this time. And those were about the things that I love. So most of it was about history and uh, uh, interesting trivia. But I started to really enjoy what I could get from it. And I started to think about what I'm not getting from these 20-minute conversations. Like I would then listen to a 20-minute episode and I would feel we just got started and then you closed this thing. And now they were just warming up, it felt. So I wasn't getting it. And I knew that I love long form. Uh, at the same time, uh, I needed to learn. I was using it to learn about things, podcasts. And I listened to a lot of art podcasts and I didn't get what I wanted. I found a lot of conversation that was about... So that's what makes the sneaky art podcast unique in its way in that it is not... Like people say that it's not like other podcasts, but that's not... That's because of the way it's constructed, which is that... I, I did not like other podcasts in this in the realm of art and discussion of the artist life. 
and I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I read this quote somewhere which said that if you're looking for a book and you can't find it, it means you're supposed to write it. <laughs> and I applied it to podcasts that if you're looking for a podcast and you can't find it, it means you're supposed to make it. So right. I realized I needed to make it. And in January of 2020, I remember I was sketching with Donald Colley and we were sketching at a food market somewhere in downtown Chicago. And we were talking about this, that we, because Don and I, when we sit down, we talk for two hours and we'll be sketching next to each other and talking the whole time. And we were talking about how our conversations need to be recorded so that the world can be uh, blessed with our insights and uh, we need to record other people as well. So that idea was that Don and I would be co-hosts and we would, how interesting would it be if we spoke to other sketchers and maybe we can do that in the next uh, seminar in Chicago. And of mm. course the COVID came and ruined all of that. But that's when I uh, seriously thought about it. And that's the first time that I shared the idea with someone and they thought mm. it was a good idea. So yeah, 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 January 2020, it took me a few months to build up the courage. It took me a yeah. few months to think that I am qualified, I'm allowed to do this. Yeah. I was, I felt like such a, it was such a, like either an, an aligning of the stars or tremendous bad luck because just a few months after we discussed it, uh, USK talks became a thing and I was like, wow, I had that idea. Why didn't I do it? <laughs> But then I was uh, sort of, okay, this is disappointed slash pleased, but uh, pleased because I, I loved that something is happening. And I loved that people care, like the comment section, people want this kind of information, people want to connect people, what are they curious about? So it yeah. told me that this is something worth doing. There is an audience yeah. for it. And yeah. that there are Both other people start. doing things. The fact that there are other people doing things means it is not, it is going to become a wave together. And I loved that aspect of it, that there is this sense that the timing might also be right. Mm. I had nothing mm. much to do during the pandemic, so I couldn't sell art. So I thought, okay, let's call Paul and let's talk to him for an hour and see what we get. Excellent. And then you started your journey of being a podcaster. After you had begun, were there times you found yourself second-guessing yourself? Yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't know how I made it after the first seven. Firstly, episode seven, episode 10, episode 17, 18, episode 23. All of these episodes I reached and I was like, how am I going to keep going on? What's next? What do I do next? I'm I'm there right now. Like, I have ideas until episode 53. And I don't know what's going to happen after that. And a part of me is worried about what if I don't figure it out. And a part of me is like, it has learned that I should just leave it on the back burner until the time comes to bring it to the front burner. And then mm. it will figure itself out. I don't mm. have to, like, you know, the solutions will come when the problem is imminent. So I have thought about, uh, I have had stumbling blocks like, what could I talk about? Am I repeating my questions? And worse, are the answers that are coming to me the same answers? Mm. I have thought about if it's too long, 
I've mm. thought about whether I need to eliminate myself further from the conversation, whether I have the right to be more prominently in the discussion myself with my ideas and experiences. Then I I've thought about whether I want to talk for longer. So the first time that I hit two hours, I think I think that first time was with Danny Gregory, and. I thought this is impossible. Like, why would anybody listen for two? Just listen to me for two hours. But luckily, it was Danny Gregory. So, people listened to us for two hours. Um, after episode twenty-three, I think that was in Mark Taro Holmes. That became the longest episode I recorded. And again, I thought, what am I doing? Like, is this just me meandering? Like, is this a tight two and a half hours? Is there such a thing, or am I just dawdling? and this this idea that i will fall away from what i wanted to do and it will just become a self indulgent thing of me talking about my thing to bothering people with my things you know like am i connecting still with people that has always been an, a question mm. but what's helped is something like buy me a coffee so people reach out people say some and sometimes it happens literally in the morning like i see that email in the morning and it's the best email to wake up to that Uh-huh. I listened to this episode and I connected with this thing. It's just the best thing because now I am ready to record the next. I'm ready to plan the next. Hmm. The good it, like it's it's this this constant idea that just do it and the inspiration will come. Just just show up and the next thing will come. So after 3 episodes I don't know exactly what I'm do- it's not already recorded. I will have to do it. I plan to do something very different so I don't know how it's going to go but okay. I'm going to do it and it's going to happen somehow and okay I think I think that's the best way to follow best advice to follow in terms of the content and the storyline you're saying the inspiration will come just like you have learned to navigate interviewing maybe navigating the storyline which is wider across episodes will those skills will come uh but other than that outside of the content of it do you have other milestones for your podcast well i'm thinking about where what it can become and i don't again we come to this thing of how do you what is a milestone is it a numerical achievement like okay 6000 what if it became 60000 and i've often thought about what would change if it became 60000 and nothing would change if it became 60000 i would still be sitting at this desk with this same uh, notebook thinking about who my next guest should be and i'll still be putting in roughly the same amount of research editing it the same way putting going through the same stresses of typing out all the details around it and uploading it so nothing will really change if i accomplish something and so it becomes difficult to think what is it that i want next outside of the content of it like what what do i want to achieve with it one thing i've been thinking about how i want to whether somebody wants to be on the road with me i'm going to be traveling soon so i thought maybe it will be interesting if i could make a show on the road if i could uh, share ideas from sketching trips if i could talk about the experience of uh taking that kind of time out that you're also about to take right like taking that kind of time out of your life which is now just this period is just dedicated to sketching first everything else second and third 
what is it to get into that zone what is it to to work like that and what you get from it and i wonder if that has any value i have no idea i'll have to record a few mm. and mm. listen to them and share it with my little focus group that i've got now and get some feedback understood uh this sounds very positive very exploratory very research oriented and uh, curiosity filled so it has all the markers of success there are the internal markers or did the internal markers of success or if you were doing a good job ever ever waver oh, in the sense did you ever feel that you had an imposter syndrome and i'm latching on to the idea sasala vikramasinghe from london sent saying she lo- she discovered your podcast and it has been a revelation for her but she wonders that on one hand uh imposter syndrome can ground a person but on the other extreme it can paralyze one's creativity with the fear of failure so she wonders if you had that why interviewing while producing and if you did how did you battle it oh yeah <laughs> i don't think i don't think i know anybody who's good at what they do but doesn't have an imposter syndrome also like i feel all of us have it and discovering that all of us have it is the part that makes that stops it from being paralyzing in my experience it was paralyzing while i thought i was the only one but everybody has it and all the time and it is absolutely unrelated to success levels it's such a personal thing and so so that has made it something that it still gets me down a lot it's always a battle so i like to say this and my wife has seen me uh, gesticulating in front of my screen which is that whenever i first ed- start to edit a new episode and i have to listen to my own voice i it annoys me so much again i have renewed appreciation for anybody who listens to the show that you listen to me talk i can't listen to myself talk and anybody who does it is amazing what a fantastic human being you are like you are really suffering a lot uh, it's almost i don't know if it's if it's a bigger deal that i made 50 episodes or that somebody has heard 50 episodes with me in it so it's maybe maybe theirs is the greater achievement because every time i edit an episode i think oh my god why am i talking oh my god what is this voice of mine oh my god why did i use this word why did i not use that word and this is every single time it gets a little shorter like instead of 5 minutes of internal screaming it is 1 minute of internal screaming but it happens it happens every time i am standing outside and i'm got my sketchbook and i've got the pen in my hand and i'm thinking about starting a sketch i plot it in my mind and i think i could mess this up i could mess that up what if i lose the mojo completely what if today is the day that i just stop being able to draw people somehow nothing works all the disaster scenarios run through my mind i'm very good at i'm very good at uh, apocalypse apocalyptic thoughts it's one of my secret superpowers <laughs> so the thing is to keep doing it anyway i think once you have reached the absolute depth of your imposter syndrome which is that hey what if you are terrible at this hey what if nobody cares at all would you rather not do it and the answer for me is i would rather still do it 
and it's not a healthy attitude to have. I'm not excusing this imposter syndrome because it can be so damaging. And I take inspiration from people younger than us. I look at people who are the, the Zoomer generation and I see how how confident so many of them are in their own image and in their own lives. And I think I wish I had that. I wish I was not crippling myself with this self-doubt. And it is it is crippling yourself. You are really... Uh, you need crutches to to still manage this thing and it's very difficult to do but we've got to do it and it helps a little to know that every single person is suffering from it the syndrome um, or the feeling of syndrome or feeling of being at your lowest has come with the territory of doing something new um in the same line, I think I would like to ask Suhita Shirodkar's question is what, when you make a choice of choosing a path or doing something, something's got to give, you have to give up on something else. And when I say give up, it's not always contemptuous sacrifice I'm talking about. It could be a happy sacrifice too, or uh, so it could be easy or hard to give up. But what are the things that have been really exchanged so that you can enable yourself to do this podcast? I think, yes. I think firstly, I think sacrifice is essential. We are, I, I am very much a person of, in, you know, who likes to be in stasis. In, I'm very inertial. To get me to change how I'm doing something is a little bit of effort. But inertial also means that once I'm moving, I'm happy to keep moving. So if I'm if I'm locked in a way of doing things, I get locked into it and it becomes difficult for me. And I think sacrifice is related to that, to change the things that have become our habit and to bring new things into the picture. The biggest sacrifice I made, I think, has been quitting my PhD program. Uh, I took a lot of joy from my education. I learned so many things from it that I will always keep that inform my world even today, help my art, everything. But I had to step away from one ladder and get on another one. Ladder is a problematic analogy because I don't know if it is right to think of the artist's life as a ladder. But it, there is a climb for sure. So I chose a new climb and that was a sacrifice for me to take. Uh, sometimes I've been asked by people honestly, sincerely, if... It was a waste to get educated so much. Like, what if I had become an artist earlier and I had not wasted so much time with my master's degree, half of a PhD program? And I don't think that's the case. Sort of similar to how you built that, uh, this house of cards. Our lives are built by all of these different cards and you don't always know where the, which are the ones carrying the stress. So to just take one out and be like, this looks better or it would be so good if I could just remove this card and everything else would still stand is not always the case. And it is better, in my opinion, to appreciate the different experiences we have and to find how they fuel us, how they make us who we are. These multidimensional creatures who have so many unrelated experiences and thinking of uh, Suhita's specific question about what I might have, what I have sacrificed in order to do what I want. Correct. I think uh, the 
thing that I have sacrificed the most is a very clear structure of what mm. is success, what mm. is a good job, mm. and what is what is a good week. Like, how do you give yourself a weekend? It's beyond me at this point. And there's this really horrible quote. You'll agree with me. Really horrible quote that if you do what you love, you'll never have to work a single day of your life. Like. what utter nonsense like this was made by somebody who had to who was probably whipping and driving their laborers to work that just just love it and then it won't sound like work to you because it is it is work work is work even if you love it it's still work and i think that that is a big thing to take on and not everybody should feel obliged that this is the only way to live that mm-hmm. your career should be uh, something that consumes your life or that mm-hmm. you only do the thing that consumes you so one of my heroes is charles bukowski completely messed mm-hmm. up person i don't want to actually i should not say he's my hero he's got some ideas which are nice ideas and one of his ideas which resonated with me which became a big part of my life is he said and he's a poet so he doesn't waste words he said find what you love and let it kill you and i have thought about that in lots of ways and i think every artist has that in them if they are honest to their work mm-hmm. and that is a choice i have made that i'm going mm-hmm. to find what i love and it's going mm-hmm. to kill me metaphorically speaking yeah. hopefully not a fountain pen will you know you won't find me somewhere with a fountain pen <laughs> struck through my heart yeah <laughs> but fine it uh, was a fine it Uh, it what was a, it was too use? fine <laughs> what pen did you use when you were doing that was a fine if i was only using a broad nib maybe it would have not penetrated so right. effectively that's right <laughs> yeah. so talking about the work side of the love <laughs> of art how much of your time do you divide between art making and then the entrepreneurial marketing social media aspect of it yeah it's it's very tough um i ha- and there is no single system that works so mm. just for productivity for example over the last 5 6 years i have used google calendar i've used roam research i've used Google Keep I've used all the various productivity hacks I'm currently using Notion and I'm loving it a lot I think I have found a way to I think I'm happy with this but it's not enough like I also have notes on paper so it's I'm always looking for ways to make things work and it's always everything always gets old so everything constantly has to be refreshed mm. so Uh, recently i found out that in trying to do these different things and i was also trying to make the podcast weekly trying to do all of these things the art was getting shoved to the side and it was getting less and less i wasn't revolving around the art the art was just one of the th- little things and that started to have a detrimental effect it had all the typical effects but one of the subliminal ones is that you start to lose courage if you draw less often then you take less chances even less chances because you the one time you're drawing you wanted to just hit all the marks you don't want to try something risky 
and that's a terrible place to get into, right? So I found this was becoming the case that I was drawing safe things. I was becoming conservative with my urban sketches. And secondly, I found that I wasn't like I wasn't having the new idea I wanted from the drawing. Like my ideas were getting were coming to me from these conversations and I was reflecting on them and I was getting some good ideas. But the art as the source of ideas still needed yeah. to happen. I looked yeah. at the work of some fellow artists on Instagram as much as the algorithm allows me to see. And I was seeing people who were transforming with their work. And I thought, you know, I am due for a next, uh, like a level up. I am yeah. due for that. Where is my magic mushroom? And yeah. what do I need to do? So at that time, I spoke with Sandy Hester. I spoke yeah. with David Morales. I spoke mm. with another couple of uh, artists that I was uh, admi- uh, that I admired, and they each, in their own way, told me and emphasized to me the importance of recentering art. Mm. So then mm. I did this thing. I did uh, thirty days of Vancouver in April. So first to thirtieth April, every day, new part of the city, drawing tiny people and mm. uh, playing these new games, trying to trying to keep the art at the center, but also talking, also writing. So finding ways that the art is not just the art, but it is linked to my podcast. It is linked to my writing. It is linked to my creative expression. And it is an everyday thing so that it becomes a part of my routine. I don't have to go out of my way. I, it, it like reducing the cost of a drawing, you know, like how I should never feel that there's not enough time or that this is mm. not a good time or that how mm. am I going to do it today? These mm. are not thoughts that, should ever encumber, like, encumber me. This was my goal. So I started to do this everyday thing and it helped me to mm. bring art back to the center. Today, I feel like I am working on my art in a different aspect of it. So there is, I'm not working on it purely on the technical aspect of how well do I want to draw. And when I say today, I mean this is my general, vague, subliminal not explicit but implicit plan for the past few weeks and the next few months that mm. I'm not necessarily trying to draw something that I could not draw before. I don't think that's the goal. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to un- investigate the value of sneaky art. And the value of sneaky art relies on me drawing regularly but it is about the ways that I relate with it, the ways that I talk about it and the ways that I can write about it. And therefore, the ways that people can read and relate and connect with my drawings. And I'm trying to understand what really makes something universal. How can uh, the my, my drawing style is a way of stripping away differences. It's a way of, even though I draw very uh, specific details about a person, I am doing that not to differentiate them, but to bring them closer to you to make you relate with them even harder rather than for you to find a way to see why they are different from another person or different from you. So I want to see what it takes to make that connection with someone. And that question is not about technical mastery for me. So for the next few while, I'll be drawing a lot, but I will be spending as much time or more time thinking, writing, writing, rewriting, 
re-rewriting and thinking about ideas that come up in the podcast conversations the actual act of drawing i think is going to take a bit of a back seat in terms of actual number of hours but a lot of the things i'm now doing are everything revolves around the art like every all, even the podcast itself i think in a way it revolves around the art i make and as your art has evolved or will evolve as you're leveling up let's say do you think your style has changed where you're lose losing the practical or the realistic approach and embracing more of the emotion yeah yeah i it started with comics the things mm. that i've loved the things i've connected with have not been realistic or they have not been those things because they were so realistic my first love was calvin and hobbs not michelangelo uh the progress of sneaky art over the years has been very simple it's been about cutting down the lines how l- few lines can i make to tell you something i am also refining what is that something that i want to tell i am also learning what is it that something that i can tell oh art can say this a drawing at the beach can mean this to someone so i'm understanding the power of it and at the same time i'm seeing how can i play with this power what can i what can i do with just ink scratchings on paper and have it become things in people's minds and how few scratchings do i need therefore how much can i benefit from being lazy the more lazy i am the more i look for these ideas and these shortcuts like an engineer right like we we call it optimization because we don't want to do more work yeah i call it roi i call it elegance i call it efficiency mm-hmm. um, laziness is yeah i love laziness <laughs> to speak the most with the least that brings me to my actually the final question um this you no longer have the fear of being spotted what could have started as a cute word sneaky has that outgrown it's cute. what a great question actually so uh now for this this week is my 101st week of writing every week of publishing about sneaky art every week with my newsletter so i made it my every week i made it my business that i am going to make a case for sneaky art every week uh i started with sneaky art because of this imposter syndrome because of feeling that i don't have the right to be drawing in public places i make shitty drawings so i'll just quickly make it and i'll get out they won't notice me and i will uh, wallow in my shame in private instead but uh over time and finding urban sketchers firstly was a big thing for me it told me that i'm okay to do this and everybody does this look at these guys with their whole palette sprawled on the road i can definitely sit stand in the corner with my little sketchbook so one part was defeated there the second is that it's not true that i don't feel afraid i do even today i'm very self conscious in public spaces i am always thinking until the moment that i start drawing literally until that moment it is always in my mind who is looking at me are they seeing me do this what do they think of this thing it's such a damaging and it's a very unhealthy uh, uh, state of mind to be in and i'm learning to defeat these tendencies these thoughts in me so i'm learning to overcome this it 
there's just no way. I can't figure out a way to cure this imposter syndrome. So I still do feel a part of me is being sneaky because I don't, I actually am nervous about being seen. Not that I think I'm doing the wrong thing anymore. I'm quite convinced this is a great thing to do. But a part of me just does not want to go through the process of explaining myself. So I still try to be very sneaky. The other thing I found and the meaning of sneaky art went to sneaky art 2.0 in my head that moment was that I thought I was being sneaky and making art, therefore sneaky art. But it's actually the art that is sneaky. So this happened after I left Chicago and I moved to Wisconsin and I started drawing in this little town of 60,000 people. Nothing Instagram worthy, nothing that is going to go viral. And now I still have to find something worth drawing. And I started to hang out in all these spots, but it's just a little town in the middle of Wisconsin. It's not going to be the bean. It's not going to be the Hancock Tower. So what is it? What's going to work? And I started to notice that my job is not to make art as much as it is to observe art. And when I observe it in all its complex glory, which is the, the flux of human life, interacting with other human life, the flux of so many different worlds from so many places coming together inside a cafe and intersecting, these Venn diagrams intersecting with each other. Someone from here, someone who's working, someone who's taking a meeting, someone who's meeting a friend. In this flux, sneaky art is created. If I sit in the corner and I watch just the way that this server is bowing to the person as they put the coffee cup down and behind them is the barista, in that scene from this perspective, there is sneaky art. And now my job is just to put it down on paper before it vanishes. So sneaky art from me being sneaky has become the world being sneaky. And the idea I try to share with my newsletter, the idea behind what I draw, the idea behind the podcast is that it is in your world too. You are surrounded by sneaky art all the time. Mm. And it would help you if you just started to pay attention to it. Whether you become an artist and you start to draw it, or whether maybe just looking at my art or listening to me talk about these things helps you become more appreciative and more sensitive to when it pops up. Because it can pop up anywhere. I have seen it. And it can happen in the most ordinary places on ordinary days. It's a beautiful thing to see. And it's just you who can see it. And everyone's art is their own art. And my job is to share mine the most faithfully that I can and if I can do that then hopefully I give you the courage to treat your own ideas in that way awesome awesome you've had a great run in cricket in cricketing terms there's a huge difference between a 49th run and a 50 <laughs> because 50 establishes for you that you can you can relax you give yourself the permission to define your second inning, which is exactly how you are looking at your sneaky art and what your podcast means, what your art will do, not just for you, but for your listeners and where it can take yourself. You've done a great job with 
inviting people of all genders. You're at 64% male to female ratio. So I applaud you. Actually, uh, I would point out one more interesting fact that I just discovered. Mm. Um, a friend of mine who's also a podcaster, he put out a list of his top 10 episodes according to viewership. Mm. So I just did the same for mine just to see what are the top 10. Mm. Although I have 64 uh, to 36 male, uh, men to women, mm. 8 out of 10 of my top 10 episodes are the ones with women. Yeah. And I find that lovely. Well, I hope, uh, not I hope, I want you to keep up the good work. <laughs> because we believe you have the capacity to do that and spread the joy. I'm not going to say joy of what. But just the joy of listening to people, connecting to people, it, it's a different kind of art. Um, and being authentic in their story narration, that itself is gleeful. Like you said, I get enthused by somebody and then I get even more enthused that they're human in the same way that I'm human. And that connection really helps to tell me somehow that maybe even I can do it. Yeah, so, I, I feel like we... Uh, there is this idea that I was just exposed to, so I don't know enough about it. There's a book that I've been meaning to read. Uh, it's this. The book is called Wanting, and the it's a theory of mimetic desires. And mimetic desires are desires we have because other people have them. So we are miming other people in so, so many things that we want in life, like early ideas of career and uh, success. They are all borrowed from other people's ideas. So they are mimetic desires. And uh, the author talks about what are the desires that are innate desires and what are the desires that are through society and circumstance and how to differentiate between them and how people have differentiated them over time. So I think that's, that's like a central part of how I am progressing with this, that I'm trying to, I'm trying to always understand what I want and I'm trying to think about why. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I would love to come back on the 100th episode and mm -hmm. see your journey. Yeah, and we've got to do it. It will have changed. And, oh my uh, God. Yeah. Right? 100 episodes uh, could happen in a year from now. It could happen in two years from now. I have no idea. I'm so excited to find out. Me too, me too. And I'm <laughs> sure your listeners are too. Uh, this was a great, great thing. I had fun talking to you, Nisha. I just finished that book that I mentioned towards the end. It's called Wanting by the author Luke Burgess. And it speaks about the theory of mimetic desires. That is the things we do in imitation of or in emulation of the models of desire that we have set up in our world. That model could be a thing, it could be an object, it could be a person. This theory developed by French philosopher René Girard speaks about the motivations of not only individuals but also people as a collective. What are our thick desires? The motivations that are innate to us, the ones that stick with us even if we have no outside support. Do we pay enough attention to our thick desires? What are the desires instead that we have imbibed passively from our environment, accepted without question from our peers, 
the desires that are run not so much by motivation but by envy or jealousy or FOMO, the fear of missing out, the desires that are thin. How can we be less harmfully mimetic and how can we identify and respect our inner motivators? This podcast is a thick desire. It was a thick desire to do it in this way, without video and in a long-form conversational format. Doing so defied many popular models set up by successful podcasters all around me. Making sneaky art is a thick desire too. I had many models to be many other things than artist and almost none for the actual artist life. Over the next few weeks, I'm taking some time away from the show to reinvest both time and energy into my thick desires, the ones from which everything else arises. During this time, you will not see new episodes from me, but I do still want to pop up in your podcast app, so the interim plan is to reshare some of the older episodes that I believe are worth re-listening to. I hope they will give you good ideas while I travel and enjoy a bit of distance from my microphone and editing setup. I will continue to speak with readers of my newsletter about the new directions I'm taking with the podcast, including a list of new guests to invite next season. Ideas for new formats include shorter conversations and more solo episodes, some of which I will be recording while I'm on vacation. If you want to get in on the action, if you want to stay in touch with me over the rest of summer, find the link in the episode description to add sneaky art to your inbox. This is Nishant Jain, host of the Sneaky Art Podcast, thanking you, dear Resolute listener, for the 50th time. Thank you for your time, for your attention, and for your love. I'll see you in the next one very soon. <laughs>